Hey everybody, welcome back to the final third. Thank you so much for downloading. We have one of the best episodes, I'll be honest, so far for these deep dives. We have first up Francesco of Twin Oaks TV, a fan YouTube channel, Twitter account for Austin FC. He joins us to talk about what to expect out of Austin FC, how they're going to play, who to look out for. It's a really great discussion. You do not want to miss it. We also, in the later half of the show, go over the first round of UEFA World Cup qualifying, who we think is going to make it out of the group, who we think is going to qualify to the World Cup out of Europe. And before any of that, you know, we have you here. So why don't you give us a review on Apple Podcasts, on Podcast Addict. Follow us wherever you listen to us from, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And as always, follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Final Third Show. Twitter or Instagram. We love talking to you guys there. All right, and enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the final third. This is another deep dive episode. My name is AJ Tabura and I'm joined by Jack. Jack, how are you feeling on this wonderful Tuesday afternoon? I'm feeling pretty good. Excited to watch some international games over the next week during the international break. Yeah, we got a lot of interesting games that we're going to actually talk about. We're going to talk about the the Euro- European World Cup qualifying groups, go over the ones that the teams that we think are going to be able to qualify out of those groups, the first, second and third uh, teams in those groups. But before that, we have a very, very special guests. We have oh, Jack, who do we have? We have Francisco from uh, Twin Oaks TV talking to us about all things Austin FC, what he's expecting from their inaugural season, uh, what players he's excited for, and more. Yeah, and that's going to be very, very exciting. So, you know, let's just jump right into it. So today for our first section, we have a very special guest with us today. He hosts the YouTube channel Twin Oaks TV, which focuses on all things Austin FC, and that is Francisco. So welcome to the Final Third Podcast. Why don't you introduce yourself and give a bit of an explanation about how you came to support Austin FC? Hey, how's it going, Jack? Thank you so much for having me over. I guess that's what we were talking a little earlier. I'm an Austin FC supporter. I make content on YouTube and I came to really fall in love with this team back in 2018 when I first saw an MLS to ATX, uh, I guess you could say a brochure or image on LinkedIn, strangely enough, of all places. And I had been looking for a team to really call my own. I moved to Austin in 2013 for college, lived there for about eight years. And when I saw that, I was like, hey, you know what? This is this home. I found it. This is going to be my football home. When I was a kid, my mother is from Torreon in Mexico, so I was a fan of Santos Laguna. I'm from Dallas, so I watched a little bit of FC Dallas here and there, but Austin is my adopted home, and Austin FC is my home team. Uh, Did you have past experiences with past Austin teams like Austin Aztecs, or I guess at this point, Austin Bold down in USL? Yeah, uh, I didn't exactly get to see the Aztecs in person. Uh, I was in college at the time, and they, when I was in college, they were in that transitionary period where they kind of dissolved and eventually ended up moving to Orlando, becoming uh, Orlando City. So I only sort of heard whispers of the Aztecs. Uh, I wasn't too too big on the bold. I was kind of traveling during the time that the bold got founded, and one of my friends was actually like, hey, Austin FC is here. And I'm like, wait, what? They're not supposed to be debuting yet. <laughs> and it turns out they were referring to the ball, but I was like, yeah, not quite as exciting. 
<laughs> and you know, there's some controversy there with how the owner marketed to try and stop the construction of the stadium. They play all the way in the Circuit of the Americas, which is in the middle of nowhere, basically, pretty far away. So yeah, my experience with Austin soccer is really just going down a Silker Park and playing on the lakefront, and as well as going to some of the UT women's soccer games, which were really fun to go to actually. And pretty, it's pretty much just playing with people and a lot of pickup games at that point. Nice. That, that's, that's all really, really interesting. Uh, but now let's get into Austin FC. We have their inaugural MLS season coming out. A lot of excitement, both on and off the field going on. And I want to focus on the on the field action right now. We have news of more and more players coming in. They're building up an actual real roster that you know is going to be competing in mls in i think less than a month now so what players 25 days yeah 25 days only 25 days what players are you looking at that's you know going to bring the most excitement towards austin fc like what are the big players that are going to make a difference for this team in their inaugural season yeah i mean there are so many names that i'm excited for it's honestly a little overwhelming like i think a lot of people underrate our roster but if i had to pick one player to start off with like the central piece you know the keystone to the arch would be alexander ring from mm-hmm. the previous captain the ringleader of nycfc that we got for like 1.5 general allocation money more or less I'm not sure <laughs> it's been a while since i saw the stat you know and then there's the stipulations and whatnot but man we recently played a game against okc energy and while they're not the best competition, so to speak, they're a USL team that I think they only won one game last season. But the way that people, the people who, a lot of people went in and snuck into wherever they were playing to watch it from like uh, outside the walls, the way that they described the way Ring controlled the midfield is everything that I want from a center defensive mid, from a six. Uh, the intelligence, the veteran uh, stature, the leadership, and, you know, of course, you know, maybe he's on his 30s, but he's still, he's still got gas in the tank, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, other than that, you could obviously point towards the designated players. You could point, to, point towards Cecilio Dominguez, uh, very experienced young South American footballer from Paraguay, entering his prime, only 26 years old. Has played for the likes of Club America in Mexico, for Independiente in Argentina, for Guarani most recently in Paraguay. So a lot, a lot of pedigree to that experience. And then on the other hand, you have Tomas Pochettino, these, this uh, Argentinian talent that right. this last season was considered the best midfielder in the league, or at least in the Copa Armando Maradona, who's also only 25 years old. So these are players that are, have very high upside and are very young. And then you could look to our, our first U22 young designated player, uh, Rodney Redis, the first player we ever signed, who he maybe didn't have the best season last year, but it's otherwise a very promising, you know, the Joya Paraguaya, the Paraguayan jewel, as many Paraguayan fans like to call him. Wow. So it's all, there's so much upside to so many of these players that, honestly, I'd have to say, like, those four are the ones that I'm the most excited for, but I could say something good about every player on this roster. So. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you you have a ton of upside in a lot of these young players that you can kind of build a good core around this team for for quite a while to come but one of the things that really caught my eyes about austin fc when i was looking at their roster their acquisitions is just 
how many MLS veterans uh, the, the team is bringing in because, you know, a ton of teams like AJ and I, we support Minnesota United. We didn't bring in many in when we went into our inaugural season and it kind of cost us quite a bit. Right. So uh, what MLS veterans are, are you looking forward to besides, you know, Alex Rain, of course, uh, but are there any other big veterans that you're looking forward to uh, seeing in action that you're expecting quite a bit from? Absolutely. And uh, there's three names. And I'm just going to give you the names straight off the bat and we'll go into them. Uh, Danny Houston, Nick Lima, and Hector Jimenez. Or Hector Jimenez, the more proper yeah. pronunciation. But, uh, and here's why. Danny Houston. Uh, and if you all want to talk more, I'll bring this up more when we talk about the style of play. But uh, Danny Houston is, I think, a very underrated striker that in the right system can do very well in MLS. Now, I know he was doing pretty good in like 2017, 2018 for San Jose. And then he kind of fell off. He didn't really fit all made a system. But I mean, the way, the kind of, the, the way that he shoots, the technique that he has when he shoots, the way he links up play and like transitioning from the midfield to the final third, no pun intended. <laughs> nice one. Uh, <laughs> is all really exciting to me. And I mean, this guy is an Ajax Academy product. Mm -hmm. So you know the talent is there. He, he graduated to the Ajax Academy, scored against Barcelona and like Champions League. Like He might be in the, in the later stages of his career, but I think he can surprise a lot of people in the right system. As far as Nick Lima, I mean, what can I say? He's one of the best right backs in the league, in my opinion. Uh, maybe I'm overselling him a bit, but I really like Nick Lima. Uh, I liked him a lot when he played for the U.S. men's national team in the Gold Cup. And I love how much he shoots from outside the box. Because one of the, in my opinion, one of the biggest uh, weaknesses a lot of MLS, MLS teams have is that whenever a defense bunkers, they just don't take chances. And Nick Lima is somebody who, Nick Lima and Alex Ring both do this. They say, you know what? You give me three touches or two touches outside the box, I'm going to set up for a shot. I don't care. And they've scored some bangers from outside the box. So they've got the, the resume to back it up. It's not just blind, uh, blind shots. And lastly, I mentioned Hector Jimenez. And there's a very uh, strong reason for that. That's not always necessarily just sporting. We're in the sporting dimension. Uh, Jimenez is, is, I believe, Mexican-American. And he's fluent in both Spanish and, and English. And recently, the team put out a statement seeing how, how much Hector had helped the team blend, uh, blend together and helping, you know, players like Cecilio, Rodney, Johan Romagna, Damas Pochettino assimilate and understand the directions that the coach is giving them and interact more with the team because they have that bridge of Spanish and English. And of course, you know, these players are learning English, but that's going to take a while. And like you mentioned, uh, Minnesota and I think FC Cincinnati as well have struggled with not having a core of experienced players. Mm -hmm. And, you know, MLS is not just a league where you can, oh, just bring a bunch of retired Europeans and you'll win it because it's so easy. No. I mean, we, we've seen this with a lot of players that come from Europe thinking it's going to be easy any time. Cough, cough, chicharito. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, there's, there's some pedigree here. There's some talent and you're going to have to fight for it. So having someone like Hector Jimenez, who's very versatile. He's played a ton of positions. He's played for the Columbus Crew. He's won championships. He's played uh, for LA Galaxy as well, uh, if I recall correctly. But not only does he have that leadership, he has a locker room presence. 
he's still a good option to uh, be on the squad. If you know, maybe if one of the younger, hotter prospects isn't pulling their weight, you got that guy who's still in his career trying to push him forward. You have the competition in the locker room, and at the same time, you have that bridge between Spanish and English. So I would say those are the most exciting MLS players that we brought in. I see. You know, I, I really like how you highlighted um, all of the different sides of the game, whether it's defense, attack, midfield. You guys have a very strong side, uh, both with your designated players, with your MLS veterans. Uh, I think if if Minnesota United had a squad like this going to the inaugural season, I would be I would be over the moon because there's a lot of good balance here. But are there any major concerns in terms of this squad, how it's built, the team in general that you have and that you think that the team should deal with or address before the season begins? Yes. And some of my concerns have been eased a little. The, and I think they'll be the questions that I have will be answered as soon as we start seeing the ball roll. Mm-hmm. But the biggest, I think the biggest two gaps in my opinion, are the striker position and the left back position. Mm-hmm. And I know I just talked a lot of praise about Danny Houston because I think yeah. he has a very high potential, but at the same time, in recent year, he doesn't have the numbers to back it up. So it is going to be, you know, you want to see that hunger in him. You want to have him feel that pressure, but, but the concern not doesn't come from Houston alone. It comes from the fact that our second striker is, or at least in the sense of a pure nine is Aaron Schoenfield who is also in his late thirties and also doesn't have great numbers. Yeah. Yep. Now <laughs> that's a little concerning because you, 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 if you look, if you're like just a casual MLS fan and you look at the sheet, you're like, all right, where did the goals come from? Without looking at the play style, without, without looking at how the players link up statistically, the front line doesn't have incredible numbers. Even Cecilio Dominguez, who's a very technically gifted player, very saucy with his plays very good at scoring goals from free kicks or panencas and penalties, or even just out of the run of play. His numbers, even then, aren't that great. He was a top scorer for Guarani, but he only had four goals. So it's really going to be up to the system working for goals to be scored. And, you know, having only Houston and Schoenfeld is a little bit of a concern because I want us to have, even if it was just a, a you know, 22-year-old South American striker that maybe had, didn't have the best numbers, at least you'd have that competition of older player versus younger player. But at the moment, that's a bit of a, an enigma to me. That is hopefully resolved. And going back to the left back position, it's just not a position that we had up until recently, not a lot of depth in. We have Ben Sweat, who, again, has had uh, some really good seasons with NYCFC. Mm-hmm. But with Miami, didn't do so hot. Although, you know, it's Miami, so it's kind of hard <laughs> to judge there. <laughs> so, and... Uh, We've been, I think we've been trialing Aiden Stanley. I forget what university he comes from, but he was one of our draft picks uh, during the super draft. He was also a left back and I think he's very promising. And then we most recently signed Jean Kolmanic from Slovenia on loan. So the depth is starting to, oh yeah, and Hector Jimenez can also play left back. You know, like he can play every position on the field. So I don't know if yeah. I ever have to mention that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, defensively, the biggest concern is that depth. Uh, even at center back, we have like Matt Beasler, um, Romagna, Cascante, and uh, Kleeman. I think Romagna will probably be the biggest one there. But because of, based on the language that Wolf and Reyna have used when describing the way they want their team to play, it's going to be a very offensive minded. And 
And, you know, if Johan Romagna is injured or if someone is out of form, I feel like that's going to be something that the opponents can exploit quite effectively. But we'll have to see. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you, you mentioned Aaron Schoenfeld and AJ and I both know uh, the struggles of Aaron Schoenfeld's yeah. goal scoring record from yeah. last season. Uh, but, you know, you kind of mentioned this uh, in looking at like, you know, where are the goals going to come from? But, you know, maybe that's something that's fixed with uh, sort of the style that Austin might be playing. So what what kind of style are you expecting Austin to play? Like they've had a, they've, they had a preseason game against OKC Energy. But, you know, uh, are there any other indications that you can see about like what kind of style they might go with? Yeah, so there's a few different angles that you can use to attempt to triangulate what they want to play like. One of them is the picks that they made to build a roster around. Two is what they say in interviews. Mm-hmm. And three would be the actual games, but uh, we only have one so far. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see in La Copita, the, the new tournament that was recently announced for Texas teams, we'll see a little more about how this plays out. But Danny Houston, uh, in an interview recently, described that he was very comfortable and very you know, elated in a surprised manner to see how Josh Wolf wanted to play. He said it reminded him a lot of a Dutch style of football which if I am reading this correctly, means total football. You know, that Johan Cruyff, Barcelona, Ajax style of football, soccer. Which, I would, which when he said that, I was very excited because originally the idea, you knew that it was going to be a very offensive-minded team. You knew that, you know, every defensive pick has some sort of offensive capabilities. You know, Johan Romagna, Really tall center back, bodies people, you know, scored and delivered the doors off of a header of a corner. He's going to be your target man during corner kicks. Lima and Ben Sweat, really good at going forward, you know, almost playing wing back roles and really good at crossing. Nick Lima, in particular, very good at shooting outside the box. Alex Ring dominates the midfield, very good at outside the box. Tomas Pochettino, very good number eight or number 10, very creative with his passes, likes to shoot from outside the box, but also has this incredible vision i'm confirmed that he's like secretly a bird in disguise because <laughs> i've seen a lot of his highlights uh playing for Thayeris or sorry Thayeris. and you look at him you look at where his face is looking and you're like okay there's no way he gets that pass there's no way he saw that run and he just makes a pass like 40 yard pass to a run that you have to wonder how humanly how is it how humanly possible that he saw that player running you know what i mean yeah so that combination of the picks, you know, Cecilio, very saucy. Red has a lot of potential, very good in flanks, cutting in. And the versatility of the players' positions convinced me that this total, total football playstyle is legitimate. Because, you know, maybe Ring, Ring has played a little bit as an eight for NYCFC. He was less effective. But take a look at someone like Danny Pereira. Plays as an eight or as a ten. Mm-hmm. Pochettino, eight or 10, or he can play in what they call in Argentina a double five, which is playing with two holding midfielders. Cecilio places a 10, a seven on the wing, or a nine. Redis, mostly right winger, not as much versatility there. Uh, Jimenez, versatility everywhere. Ulises Segura, I'm pretty sure the only position he didn't play for DC United was like right back and goalkeeper or left back and goalkeeper, also very versatile. So, in that philosophy of having every player being able to play any position and be very fluid in their movement, 
along with Josh Wolf's comments saying, hey, we don't necessarily want to have just one formation throughout a game. We want to have a very fluid game plan. I, I would say that's sort of what you can expect. Very, you know, one, two touches, uh, very fast, overlapping runs, a lot of uh, offensive pressure from the wings. And honestly, if we we're talking formations, I know I just said Wolf says he doesn't want to focus on formations, but <laughs> I, think my, I think my preferred formation to start out with would be to see a 3-5... Uh, 3-5-2, perhaps? Yes, 3-5-2. I forgot the numbers, sorry. But yeah, <laughs> basically right. playing, playing with three center backs, two wing backs, and then uh, a three midfield and a three forward. Or, you know, the numbers, whatever. Yeah. Uh, the image ex- escapes my mind right now, but you know what I'm referring to. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, you, you have already got me so hyped to see Austin FC. I like hearing <laughs> all of this, this play style. It's very attacking play style, very fluid play style. Along with all the players that you guys have, I think it's, it's going to be a very interesting season. But in your mind, what do you consider a success for this inaugural season? Is it playoffs? Is it at least getting to that point where you could possibly contend to playoffs? Is it win the entirety of MLS Cup? Like where where do you want Austin FC to go? And where do you think they'll actually end up placing amongst the Western Conference standings? Yeah, listen, I'm not asking for much. I'm I'm a bit of a realist. I like to be excited, but I'm also a realist. So here's my list, my short list. Uh, US Open Cup, Leagues Cup, CONCACAF Champions League, and MLS Cup. Okay. If we don't win those, if we don't win those four, and you know, a, a club World Cup final, I think yeah, that's sure. Why not? Four, right? <laughs> no, for the people that couldn't realize that, that was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually expect that. No, I, I just want to make that very explicit because then they're going to come out. You know, Columbus fans are going to be like, ah, Austin FC fans are so unrealistic and stupid. <laughs> oh, y- y'all should keep an eye out for the Columbus and Austin uh, trash talk on Twitter. It's very fun. Oh, we, right. we have seen it already. It's, it's great. It's great. But <laughs> yeah, you'll see, you'll see me there in the front lines. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure we will. I'm sure it's going to be, you know, toxic to say the least, but you know, they're, they're not likely to let's um, no offense. Like, like maybe you guys can win MLS cup. I, I would, I would love to see that, but do you think that this squad can at least reach the playoffs? I think that would be a pretty big success. Like, do you think, you have what it takes to get there. Yeah, and I'm sorry, I didn't actually answer your question. Uh, <laughs> no, it's all right. Uh, I, I do think they can reach the playoffs. I think they have the talent there. The biggest, I mean, you look at the players that they've signed, you look at the ambition of the front office and spending. Spending smartly, by the way. I mean, we got Tomas Pochettino and Ronnie, and sorry, Cecilio Domingos for 2.5 million. Pochettino was worth like 4.9 million in transfer market. So maybe a little bit of COVID helped there with the Argentine economy crashing for soccer teams, but yeah, uh, it's a lot of ambition. You've got a very solid uh, squad to build around and to you know to try things with. It really falls on Josh Wolf to really execute what his plan is going to be and adapt when things don't work. I don't want, I, I mean, I've met Josh Wolf. He's a very, uh, he seems like the kind of silent assassin type of person where he is nice to you off the pitch, but on the pitch, he just destroys you. Uh-huh. Uh, and I really like Josh Wolf a lot and I want him to succeed. So I don't want him to get, you know, if, if his vision doesn't start to work out immediately or sorry, not immediately, if it doesn't start to work out after several attempts, I want him to be versatile. It, also depending on the opponent. And if that if Josh Wolf can make a click, I definitely think playoffs are 
in question. You know, I don't think we'll end up up 12th place on the table, like another Texas team that wears orange. <laughs> uh, as far as standings, uh, I think I, I don't, I'll, I couldn't give you a number to be honest. The Western conference is a little more difficult than the Eastern yeah. conference. Uh, I mean, our, our first game is LAFC. Let's come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, La Copita will be a good measure to see, you know, Dallas ended up six, I think barely breaking the playoffs and then Houston in the 12th. So depending on how we perform against these teams, as well as some USL sides and how we see things click together, I'd say, you know, maybe a, a five or a six is plausible, maybe even better. I don't know. Uh, but if we're being, you know, not pessim- not overly pessimistic and not overly excited, I'd say it's a solid six is a good position to end in. Nice. Yeah. That seems like a, a pretty good position to land in. Like I'd take that pretty much any year uh, as a right. Minnesota sports fan, at least where, where <laughs> we know we're going to choke a final anyway. So, yep. uh, but you know, uh, one thing that might, uh, that might be different for Austin FC compared to some other teams is that they'll have to deal with an extended away run of games uh, about nine games before Q2 stadium opens on June 19th. Do you think that uh, Austin FC will, uh, how do you think they'll manage it? I guess is the best way to put it. Like, do you think uh, that, that they'll be able to manage it? Well, will it be tough? Uh, How do you think that will go? You know, in some way it might even be a blessing in disguise that fans are, are limited because a lot of the pressure, a lot of the difficulty of playing away games has to do with the psychology behind right. uh, playing an away game. You're playing, you know, you get that uh, psychological home turf defense mode that the team is going to have, that moxie that the receiving team is going to have. And that moxie is bolstered by the fans banging on their drums. So when I'm thinking of the LAFC game that I'll hopefully get a, get a chance to get into, I'm going to LA that weekend. Oh, wow. We'll see if, we'll see if we get in. I'm just glad we won't have the entirety of the three, two, five, two banging on their drums, you know, being as loud as they are. And, you know, by the time uh, the stadium opens at Q2, I think they'll get a pretty populated welcome and hearty welcome Mm -hmm. in the stadium. The way things are going in Texas, I think we'll be pretty good by then. Uh, Cases keep going down. Things get better. Vaccines, all that. So is it a disadvantage? Yes. Away games are always difficult. Uh, but it's also going to be, uh, uh, in my opinion, I want to see this as an iron sharpens iron situation where like, Hey, if you already played nine away games in a row, home games are going to be a breeze. You're going to have the fans behind you. Let's do it. Nice. Nice. And you, you spoke about that first game, LAFC, uh, kind of a trial by fire right there, right into the, the thick of things, you know, one word, win, loss, draw. How do you think Austin FC does against LAFC? Oof. Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to say loss. Ah. And, and I hate to do that. But to make it better, I think the scoreline will be 3-2 in favor of LAFC. Okay. And, I mean, LAFC is a team that just came out of the champion, right. uh, that's, yeah, Champions that, League. That's not a bad first game. I mean, they're just too good, you know? And you don't know how good your team is. Maybe if we had some more games under our belt, we could say, hey, maybe we'll be a dark horse and beat them, uh, turn it around. Maybe Josh Wolf's plan clicks together. I don't know, but if I'm being realistic, I think it's going to be a loss. But I also expect us to, you know, play well, to score a few goals and to show that we can put some fight in. All right, nice. And, you know, before we let you go, because we want to be respectful of your time, we do want to talk about 
the off the field stuff that Austin FC is doing. Cause that's obviously a very important role in terms of, you know, building this club, building this club's identity, building this club's brand. What do you think of the identity that Austin FC is building with the with the Verde that they keep on using with uh, the Hispanic outreach that they're doing? You guys have built a very, very strong identity. You guys got great kits, a great stadium. The merch is practically flying off the shelves. Your season ticket wait list is growing by the second. How do you feel about what the club is doing off the field? So uh, I feel two ways about it. In terms of what they're doing off the field, I think it's absolutely amazing. Uh, I don't know if you guys, how, what happened in Minnesota, but in Texas, we got the snowstorms mm-hmm. not so long ago with a grid system that's not well-equipped to deal with that kind of inclement weather that, you know, once in a <laughs> decade kind of thing. And Matt Beesler and I think uh, Brad Stuber, they're new to the city, but you, they were like, you know what? We play here. We are from here. They immediately started a fundraiser for the 4ATX Foundation. And, you know, rose, uh, sorry, raised a lot of money to help people in need. Uh, the 4ATX Foundation has also, like, started projects uh, renovating pitches, uh, you know, almost futsal-style pitches around the city, which is amazing because these are, this is where you breed talent. You know, you grow up as a kid, you grow up playing streets, street soccer in these places. So it's a great thing for me. And just the way they handle themselves publicly, I think they're, really committed to being not a soccer team in Austin, but Austin that plays soccer. Uh, that wasn't a great analogy, but they really want to be a part of the city is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Not just a franchise soccer team that makes money, but truly incorporated. I mean, even the way they're helping or not helping, but incorporating themselves with the new transit system that they're building a rail line through the stadium to facilitate travel, you know, boost the economy, give people jobs, great stuff. Yeah. As far as as far as the branding, you mentioned the Verde and all that. And uh, listen, this is my perspective as a Spanish speaker, uh, native language. Initially, and I want to specify this. Initially, I thought it was very cringy. Yeah, sure. Because because I'm like Verde, that, you say Verde, like you know, pronouncing it Verde was really strange. It's it's Verde, listos, not list, listos or whatever. <laughs> and it was it was kind of weird, you know. But then you start to see the kind of kind of players they sign. They sign, you know, they have. When I started to realize that they didn't, they didn't, you know, Austin's not the most Hispanic city in, in Texas. It's only like 30% Hispanic compared to like 50% in Dallas and I don't know how much in Houston. But I, so to me, initially it was off-putting. I was like, that's not very Austin to focus so much on the Spanish. But then I thought about it. I'm like, hey, out of those people, out of the so- people who watch soccer, how many of them are Hispanic? And then it makes more sense. And then you realize the kinds of players that players that they're signing, the relationship that uh, Claudio Reyna being of Argentinian descent has with uh, South mm-hmm. America. And you realize Austin FC isn't just going to be, you know, the, the Spanish in Austin FC isn't just for Spanish speakers in Austin. It's for the entirety of Latin America or Spanish right. speaking Latin America. It's to have that, you know, a lot of fans in Paraguay that felt right at home with the, the branding. Uh, when they saw that Ronnie Reda's, Romagna, Cecilio, and basically their entire team were coming over to Boston. Uh, so eventually it grew on me. You know, I, I'm all about the Verde. The sense of identity is really awesome. I really like it now. Even if initially when it was, you know, just starting out, it wasn't really developed into what it, uh, what it is now. So it was a little more cringy back then. But now I like it a lot. So A plus in those, in those regards for me. All right. Well, uh, just one last 
quick question. I know we said that we were going to wrap it up, but I, just one other thing. You talked about the identity and uh, about the, uh, the stuff that they're doing surrounding the stadium, but you actually had the privilege of touring uh, the Q2 stadium. So uh, yeah. what were your uh, thoughts on the stadium? I was blown away. Uh, I don't think I can say any more superlatives in the English language to describe it. Besides, it's beautiful, open, very verde, and <laughs> just amazing to experience. And, you know, it's still under construction. It was a little less developed when I went. I went back in uh, mid-January, late January, I believe. So it wasn't called Q2 Stadium yet. And the locker rooms weren't finished and all that. But, man, it was a hot day that day. We're walking around around like maybe like 12 p.m., you know, high of the sun. And it was so cool and cool in the sense of like temperature. <laughs> uh, because, wow. you know, a lot of people look at the stadium and they're like, oh, well, you guys don't even have walls. How are you going to keep the noise in? And it's like, well, it's super hot in Austin in the summer. Like, we, like that's going to be a problem if everybody, you know, they really thought about the fan experience. It's like, hey, if I'm going mm-hmm. to, I want to go every day. You know, you look at FC Dallas always empty because half their stadium is always covered in the sun. What do you do? You put a full canopy on the stadium. Everywhere you are in that stadium, you will have shade. That's nice. Except maybe, maybe some of the corner seats, not so much. I didn't try those. Uh, but everywhere that I sat in that stadium, super shady seats, the new mesh technology, I forget what it's called, super comfortable. They're using the same grass as they're using in the Qatar World Cup. So, you know, it's going to be well adapted oh, nice. to heat. It feels amazing. And all in all, I just had a great experience. And of course you get to walk around having Josh Wolf, the head coach, the face <laughs> of the franchise, if you will, talking to you about how much he likes it. And then giving you like a signed ball at the end of that. It was freaking amazing. Nice. Uh, so yeah, I love Q2 stadium and the canopy is unique. And if I had to describe it to keep this short, since I know I've been, uh, I could go on forever about this. So I'll keep it <laughs> short. I would describe it like a very, a very Scottish or UK feel to a stadium. Like mm. when, I, when I first see Austin FC from the inside, I'm reminded of, you know, your Celtics, uh, your Rangers, uh, maybe some of the smaller fields in the premiership of uh, Barnsley, something of that short, or that, that, well, maybe not Barnsley, their pitch sucks, but uh, <laughs> something of that, uh, you know, that's the straight lines, open spaces, a lot of green, really amazing. And from what I hear, some of the, ba- uh, the La Murga, some of the fan bands have been practicing there and the noise holds up really well with the academy. Nice. Apparently, I haven't actually experienced it, but I hope it's true. Well, I'm I'm sure you're looking forward to June 19th when that stadium is set to open for their first game against San Jose. Uh, but you know, uh, we've had a great conversation here. I I learned a ton about uh, Austin FC that I didn't know before, and I I really enjoyed hearing all everything you had to say about that. Uh, but you know, before we wrap it up, is there anything that you wanted to uh, to plug uh, that you wanted uh, our listeners to know about? Yeah, you say you learned a lot about Austin FC, and if the listeners want to learn some more, they can go on over to Twin Oaks TV on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. I'm mostly active on Twitter, but, you know, uh, the YouTube content is coming out sometimes a little slower, sometimes a little <laughs> faster, but I try to keep up with everything. So if you want to just keep up with Austin FC, Twin Oaks TV. That's T W I N O A K S TV on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. All right. So we've talked Austin FC, but as you know, we like to go across the pond to Europe 
to talk about a second topic in a lot of these. So given that it's the international break, we decided to talk about the UEFA World Cup qualifiers that are starting this week. Now, by the time this episode comes out on Thursday, the first game will already be done. But we're just going to go over some predictions for each of these groups. Uh, But uh, just to start out, it's important to know how the qualifiers actually work. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of complex. There are five groups of five. And in those groups of five, the winners of each of their Nations League groups in Group A are in those. So they can play the final when the other uh, teams are playing uh, the rest of their qualifying matches. Right, right, right. And then we also have five groups of six for a total of 10 groups. And it's seeded so strong teams aren't all in the same group. We have a round-robin format. Each team plays the other in home and away ties, and the top team in each group automatically qualifies for the World Cup. And second place advances to a second round. And so these 10 group, uh, the 10 group second place seeds are seeded based on how well they did in their group and are joined by the best two Nations League group winners that weren't in the top two of their group, which is confusing. confusing. But basically what this means is, let's say Wales and Austria don't finish top two in their group, uh, which is possible. They are the ones who go in uh, into uh, into the rest of uh, that based off of their Nations League group performances. Wait, that That is assuming that the, the right. f- first four, France... Belgium, Italy, and Spain do qualify. Right. That that's an important part. That that's assuming that all of those uh, those teams do end up qualifying. And those twelve teams are, that are qualifying are then split up into three groups of four. These three paths uh, are going to be two-legged semifinals and a single-legged final to decide the last three qualifiers to the World Cup from Europe. So uh, the best way to get in is to win the first round group. So, AJ, why don't you kick it off now that we've gone over all of that with how how you think Group A is going to shake out? Yeah, so Group A, uh, it's a group of five. Uh, it has Portugal, Serbia, uh, the Republic of Ireland, Luxembourg, and Azerbaijan. And basically the way that I had this go is the one that qualifies automatically is going to be Portugal. Their dominant team haven't missed the World Cup since 1998. The likes of Ronaldo, Joao Felix, Diogo Jota, Silva, Moutinho, Fernandez, Neves, uh, Diaz, Cancelo. I can go on. They'll carry them not only to the World Cup, but to actually be real contenders. And in second place, uh, I kind of went with the seeding. Serbia is the next seeded team. Uh, and I, I think they'll be the one getting second place. They were 23rd in the 2018 World Cup. They, but they also got beat out of the Euros. Overall, I think they have good players. When you look at their list, they have talent there. The only issue that I can see uh, in which they won't qualify, they have a new head coach that might kind of shake things up a little bit. So, But I think they do have the talent to go on to that second round. The one that I had just missing out is going to be the Republic of Ireland. They haven't made the World Cup since 2002. They also got beat out by the Euros by Jack's team, Slovakia. He's wearing a Slovakia jersey right now. And I look at their squad, and I don't see a lot of encouraging names. Their first-choice goalkeeper is West Ham United's backup player. They didn't win a single game in 2020. I think it's going to be hard for them to really come back. And this is how we're going to format the rest of the discussion, basically talking about uh, these different groups in terms of the automatic winner, the second round, uh, and the third-place team who gets nothing. 
So, Jack, what do you think about Group A? Yeah, well, I mean, I have the exact same ranking, I, I've got to say. And I think it's going to be similar for a lot of these groups. But, uh, yeah. you know, Portugal, I, I, I don't like the Portuguese national team because of Euro 2016. But I, I, they're going to they're gonna win this group. They should, unless, like, literally every one of their players gets injured. But uh, Serbia, I think, are pretty close to getting second. And I think, but I think Ireland could pull off the upset because, like you said, sure. they haven't won a competitive game since June tenth, twenty nineteen. That's the one thing working against them, as well as they don't really have a big source for goals. So that's the one thing holding them back from getting second. I think in this, they're they're not a bad team. It's just that yeah, they sure. they just don't have a an out and out goal scorer like Serbia has Luka Jovic and. Uh, Alexander Mitrovic and uh, Portugal has Ronaldo, Fernandez, Silva, all of that. So that's the one thing that holds them back in this one for me. All right. Well, how about Group B? Well, what do you what do you think? Who's in that group, and who do you think's taking it? Yeah. So it is a five team group. You have Georgia, uh, and Greece, Kosovo, Spain, and Sweden, and. You know, right right off the bat, there's an obvious winner in in this group, like there is for most of them. Yeah, yeah Georgia. Georgia. They're gonna they're gonna go all the way. I'm <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's gonna be Spain. Uh, Spain have been impressive uh, over the Nations League campaign, battering Germany six to zero, and Spain <laughs> is just an impressive team with a lot of young talent coming in. Uh, you know, you have the likes yeah. of Ansu Fati. You've you've got um, uh, Pedri, who's come in and been good for Barcelona. And you've got some uh, some good experienced players like David De Gea, who's been very good for Spain, even when he wasn't that great for Manchester United. He's been a solid presence there. Uh, you've got so you've got some good out and out goal scorers. Of course, you have the rock at the back. That's Sergio Ramos. I could go on for Spain, but they should win this group. In second place, though, I have the giant killers that I, I that's what I think of them as of Sweden. Uh, Sweden okay. have an impressive squad as well. They've got great names. Uh, they they didn't do great in the Nations League campaign. Uh, they they got relegated no, they from the from the group, just barely missing out against uh, Croatia. If they had won against Croatia, they would have survived. But uh, they that's not to take anything away from their team. They have great goal scores, and you know they have Zlatan Ibrahimovic back again. So who knows? He could he could make something happen. Uh, but that I think Sweden have enough to finish in second. But then for my upset uh, that could make waves, uh, I think it's going to be Greece. Greece have made upsets before, uh, you know, in, in the Euros uh, way back in 2004. But I don't think they're go- they have an especially strong chance of qualifying. They just don't really have many names that stand out. Uh, you know, like their first choice left back uh, in a year where Liverpool are missing so many defenders just doesn't even get game time uh it greece just doesn't have the strongest squad ever at least not right now and i don't think they're going to get into a qualifying position unfortunately uh but that's Mm -hmm. how i see it shaking out aj do you have a similar idea i do have a similar idea but i will say you know i i I do think just to begin spain they're gonna win they're sixth for, for a reason they have all those strong players but I, I think you might be overrating Sweden okay. a little bit. I When I see their squad, I see a much older squad than most national teams will vie for. Uh, they made 2018 
not the two preceding World Cups. And you say they have good goal scorers. I, I, I don't know if they necessarily do. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, he's a great goal scorer, but he has 40 more goals than their second highest goal scorer. So if you're over-reliant on Zlatan, like maybe a certain uh, Milan team is, then it's going to be hard to play well if he isn't playing well for you. So I think Sweden's going to be second. I don't think that they're going to make much waves once we get to the second round or if they make it to the World Cup, the World Cup. And Greece, I just don't even think they're close to Sweden. Greece in the FIFA rankings is 53. Sweden is 20. It sh- they should make short work of them. But going on to Group C now, that's, uh, that was Group B, we have in this group Italy, Switzerland, Northern Ireland, Bulgaria, and Lithuania. And, you know, people will notice that Italy did, in fact, miss the World Cup last time around. But I think that has a lot to do with the fact that they didn't have very good talent. Maybe they're older. But now Italy has just a crop of youth players that are ready to make a difference. We have Donnarumma. He's older and can actually be depended on. They have also still a lot of older talent that they can turn to. But they have younger players in Chiesa, Moise Keane, Bastoni, uh, players that could, you couldn't depend on four years ago, but now you can. Verratti, Barella, El Sharawi. And, you know, have the old reliables, uh, Cialini, Benucci, Immobile. It's a really well-rounded squad, and I think that they will do well in this group and win it pretty easily. They're also not seeded with Spain, which I think really screwed them over last time around. So now that they're the top dogs, I think they'll get it. Uh, Switzerland, they were really impressive last World Cup, finishing second in a group of Brazil, Serbia, and Costa Rica. That's a tough group. They finished third in a hard Nations League group. They have a manager in Petkovic that has gotten them results consistently for the past seven years and i think that continues they did have a really rough run of form in 2020 not only one win but i think their talent is enough to get them through northern ireland it's it's night and day uh, between the first two and number three i don't think they have even what it takes to compete with those two so that's why i have them third jack who are your top three for group c well for group c i mean I, I I'm with Italy as well. I'm going to I'm going to go really? uh, off okay. and say that. They want revenge for 2018. They've got a strong and young younger team now that can really provide for them. Like you said Donnarumma, but I want to mention uh the Chelsea man Giorginio J5. He he controls sure. the midfield extremely well. He's got he's got penalty taking down uh down fine-tuned uh will ignore the penalty misses from this past season. And uh huh. you know, uh he I think that they should qualify from this group. They've got some great talent, and uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think Switzerland can come close to them. I think Switzerland will get second, though, uh, because okay. I, I think they are a good team, uh, have some impressive players. They've got a great, reliable goalkeeper, Jan Sommer. They've got, they've got some good players to, to go off of. But for my upset team... I was struggling for this one because uh, there, really? there, there were two that I was kind of going between. Uh, but ultimately, I, I went with maybe not the most conventional choice that people would have gone for. I went for Northern Ireland. I, I do think that they could do it. <laughs> They've got an okay. impressive roster, but they don't score a ton. So their road, if they were to qualify to get like an upset in second, would be a lot of draws against Italy and Switzerland. 
and winning against, yeah. uh, you know, the likes of, uh, you know, Bulgaria and Lithuania. But they, I don't think they're going to be close, but I think they could make a surprise run. All right. And how about Group D? We got France, uh, your national yes. team, on. Uh, who do you think is going to win? I'm guessing it's going to be France, well, but take it away, Jack. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to bet against the world champions, especially since they've been in such yes. good form since then. They haven't lost a competitive game since the, uh, since the World Cup. Uh, so, and throughout the World Cup, they didn't lose one either. So they're the world champs. They've got younger players, some exciting young prospects. Eduardo Camavinga coming through uh, from Wren is a really exciting player. They've got reliable defenders. Uh, they've got great goal scorers, Kylian Mbappe, Antoine Griezmann, uh, Usman Dembele. I mean, he hasn't played for quite a while. And of course, the GOAT, Olivier Giroud. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think France should win this easily. And then uh, for second, I'm going for a bit of Robin Ludd supremacy and going for Finland. Uh, Finland made a great run to the Euros uh, this past year, or, well, not two years ago, I suppose, uh, for the qualifying campaign. Uh, and they have a great roster of players. They've got an out-and-out goal scorer in Timu Puki. They've got uh, a squad that, that has some experience in playing for the national team and are playing at, so, at some really nice clubs and playing very well. And, you know, I, I love Robin Lode as a player. I'm I'm gonna yeah. go for Finland. Uh, Finland okay. in second, and then for an upset, uh, we talked about them earlier. I went for uh, this was a this was another tough one, but I went for Ukraine. I do think Ukraine versus Bosnia was the was the big run. I'm sorry, Kazakhstan fans, I just don't see it happening. But uh, Ukraine have an exciting squad. They've got Ruslan Malinovsky. They've got uh, they've got great young goalkeepers. They uh, I mean I only really know Malinovsky from Ukraine because I'm an Atalanta fan, but they do struggle against a lot of bigger teams, which is why I don't think they'll make it out of uh, out of many of the out of this group. But I think that they could make a surprise upset run. But AJ, what do you think about this group? Yeah. So first place, I had the obvious choice. I had Kazakhstan taking oh, yeah, the group. Of no, I have France. I have literally nothing to say because their youth players are plentiful. They're literally reigning champions, whatever. Second place, I originally had Finland because I thought that was going to be like this kind of, you know, ooh, it's an upset thing. But now looking at it, Ukraine is actually the higher seeded team, like by by far. And I think I'm going to go with Ukraine. I think their squad that they're taking uh now is a bit older i think it's a little bit worse than last last time around where they still didn't make it i think they have just enough to barely squeak by third place but i think they can do it third and fourth place actually did come down to finland and bosnia uh and harris govina but honestly like i i love lud i love schuler who used to play for minnesota united i gave it to uh b and h because of the fact that you know, when you look at the Finland squad, they're as a team they might be good. Individually, they don't have enough stars other than Timu Puki to get them the results that they need. So that's why I'm gonna go with Bosnia and Herzegovina for that. I don't know. It, it, it's a very open group in terms of second to fourth place. So we'll see what happens there. I'm glad that we had a a difference in opinion yeah. there. I think we might have one potentially for Group E because I said obviously it's going to be Belgium, 
uh, winning it. It's Belgium, Wales, Czech Republic, Belarus, and Estonia. Uh, Belgium, they won their Nations League group. You've got some of the best players in the world playing for you. KDB, Eden Hazard, if he can get healthy. Courtois, Lukaku. This might be the Golden Generation's last chance at securing a World Cup. So let's see if they can do it. That starts, obviously, with the first round of qualifying. I think they do it. Second, this might catch some people off by surprise. I think it's Wales. Wales are a decent team, not the best, but decent. I see a lot of people actually underrating them, choosing Czech Republic. I don't know, Jack, if you did that too. But they're ranked 18th, and I think it'll be close because they have a lot of decent Premier League and Championship players. You know, you have a good mix of decent players like Gareth Bale, who he's getting older, but whatever. Uh, Joe Allen, Ramsey. It'll be close, but I think Czech Republic and Wales are close enough talent-wise. And I think Wales just have... Uh, good form last year that they'll be able to take on to 2021. Czech Republic, you have some decent players from all over. I have to shout out Suchek and Sufal for West Ham United. If Czech Republic do advance, I think that it's going to be a, a highly a good chance of it being an upset if they do make it. It's going to be because of the team and not individual players carrying them. It's going to be how they work as a unit. They had a good run of form last year. But unfortunately, once you go against Belgium and Wales, the cards are not in your favor. You have to step up. Jack, do you agree with me or do you have Estonia getting second or something? Oh, no, I have Estonia getting first. Come oh, wow. On. That was your first mistake. I'm kidding. Yeah. That's like the it's third Belgium. time you've made it, that joke. Yeah, but. I know. I, I know. It's getting old. It's getting old. But I, to be honest, I have Belgium getting first. Uh, I don't know what else I can say that AJ already didn't. Uh Missing Eden Hazard for a little bit uh, for the qualifiers yeah, sure. might hurt them a little bit, but given who's in their group, I don't think it'll matter that much. Uh, second, I I actually also have Wales. I, I do think okay. that they're a good team. I especially like uh, Ethan Ampadu, Chelsea, uh, a Chelsea player on loan at Sheffield United. He's one of their better. He's been one of their better players this season, and when he's played, they've actually been able to keep clean sheets, which is impressive for Sheffield United. Yes. Uh, so I, I think that they've got some good players. And of course, Gareth Bale is doing well at Tottenham, uh, even if he's just using Tottenham as a training ground Basically. for the Euros. But uh, And then third, uh, as an upset, Czech Republic. I think Wales and Czech Republic could be separated by like one or two points at the end of this mm-hmm. because the Czech Republic do have a very good squad. Probably, I, I mean, probably a better goalkeeper as well, which is possibly one of their advantages who is their uh, goalkeeper uh vaklich who okay. he doesn't all he, he's a backup as well but he plays more often than hennessy does which is mm-hmm. a, a bit of an advantage and you know suchek is in great form uh vladimir sufal is arguably one of the best right backs in the league and i i think that they have some uh some talent that could get them an upset second place all right well group f this might be a very open group Jack, run us through it. Yeah, well, I think this might actually be the most open group out of all of the, the gr- ones that we the have. The group of life instead of the group of death, honestly. Yeah, pretty, pretty much, in which every other group is the group of death. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in this one, we have... Do you, do you have it, do you have it yes, open? Yes, I, I, I do. I we have Austria, Denmark, Scotland, Israel, Faroe Islands, and Moldova. Jack, who's yeah. taking this one? Well, uh, I I finally got it back up, but we <laughs> I, I think that we've uh, Denmark's going to take this one, in my opinion. Yes, I think they have a lot of players who are in really nice form. 
Casper Schmeichel has been incredible for Leicester uh, this past season, and he is their captain, and he's been playing well. And of course, you have uh, the Danish Maldini under Thomas Tuchel, uh, Andreas Christensen, who's been playing incredibly well after being potentially one of the worst center backs at Chelsea, uh, going from like just incredible. And I think that like they have a really solid back line, which will really help them. And, uh, the, you know, I, I think Denmark should win this one, uh, given that a lot of these other teams have kind of struggled for form in the past few months. Uh, I have in second, I have Austria. I think okay. they have, they have a good team as well, but ultimately it's just not as good as Denmark's in my opinion. They, they've also kind of struggled at a few times. You know, they lost to Romania in the nation's league, for example, which wasn't great. Uh, and, uh, you know they they've recovered decently well, but I do think that they're not as good as a lot of the other teams in this group. Uh, but ultimately, good enough for second. And sure. for an upset, I I I have it as Scotland. I actually almost put Israel in this because Israel hmm. do have a decent team, but they just don't score enough to warrant like anything more than fourth, in my opinion. And sure. Scotland uh, just had a great run to the Euros. And, uh, you know, they've got an impressive team. They've got Andy Robertson captaining their squad. And I, I honestly don't think Scotland should do worse than third, given who else is in their group. If they finish worse than third, then they're going to have to really examine what happened here. But uh, yeah. they, they could make an upset run second. Uh but ultimately, just Austria and Denmark are just above Scotland right now for me. All right. I have something a little similar. I have Denmark. I think Denmark is sneaky good. They got into the round of 16 last World Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't qualify for the 2016 Euros, I don't believe. You mentioned some really good players. I'll have to mention uh, Vestergaard and Eriksson. But the big question for them, and the reason why I don't think they're actually going to do that well once we get to the World Cup, is who's going to be their standout striker? Braithwaite, he's got 46 <laughs> games under his belt with seven goals. Like you, don't, you no longer have Nicholas Bentner to rely on, so like who is it going to be? I still think they're going to make it to first. I think second place, actually, I went with Scotland. Okay. The last time both these teams, both Austria and Scotland, made the World Cup was 1998. But Scotland have really good players. They have Robertson, Tierney, Taylor, McBurney, Shea Adams, Christie, McGregor, Scott McTominay. You know, some pretty decent players. Also, we just made the Euros. I think they're in good form. Austria, also in really good form. Some decent players playing in the Bundesliga. I think this is going to be close. It's all going to be who can reach their potential the most. And I think with the, the potential like Scotland's unlocking within themselves, they're going to find it to become second place in this group of life. It's a toss-up, but I will have to go with uh, England's northern neighbors there. And now we're going into maybe a little bit of a tougher group to really predict. Um, it's Group G. We have the Netherlands, Norway, Turkey, Montenegro, Latvia, and Gibraltar. This is uh, another group of six. The, the previous one is also a group of six uh, for those keeping track at home. I went with, obviously, number one is Netherlands. They missed out on the World Cup last time, I believe. But they have too, many, too much emergent talent to ignore them. The decline is over. It's a new generation. You have De Ligt, De Jong, uh, Van de Beek, is that how you pronounce it? Yep. Bergwijn, how, how do you pronounce Bergevine. that? <laughs> Bergwijn. I've li- okay, 
I swear people pronounce it the other way. I'm not crazy. And I'm guessing they're wrong, but whatever. Fosu Mensa and obviously reliable players like Van Dyke once he gets back, Veghorst, Depay, uh, Wijnaldum, Blind. They got second last Nations League like in the tournament and got second in the group this year. They got what it takes, let's just be honest. Now, second place is Turkey. Turkey is a good team. I think people are forgetting that. Both teams that I've had in second and third, Norway's third, haven't qualified in literal eons. But this is a team that I think gets underrated because they have a lot of domestic-based players, and people will overlook them because of that. But newsflash, unlike other countries, Turkey has a really good domestic league. They have a lot of players that play for the big Turkish giants there. Galatasaray, Fenerbahce, uh, the other one I'm forgetting. Bishkitas, that's it. And I think they have what it takes, even if people don't realize it. Norway, they have Odegaard and Holland. Cool. Who else? Joshua King? No. But you can't just rely on them. As a team, they're not there yet. They, they failed to get into the Euros, despite having literally the best striker in the world that's not named Robert Lewandowski. Give it a couple years, and maybe they get there. That's who I have. I think Norway, it could be close. They will be my upset pick. But Turkey and Netherlands, I think, are too far ahead of Norway as it is. Jack, Group G, what do you think? Yeah, well, uh, I have Netherlands first as well. They, they've just got too reliable and too deep of a squad to, uh, to end up anywhere below first. And especially just considering the gulf between Netherlands and the rest of the, the five in this group, it, it, it can only be Netherlands up top. And then I actually went second as Norway because okay. I, I, I know I, I don't let, I don't really underrate Turkey, honestly, because uh, they were in uh, a Euro qualifying group with France and we could not score past them. They have an, right. an incredible defense. Uh, I, they, they, they really do. Kaglar Soyuncu, Ozan Kabak, who has not had the greatest of times at Liverpool, but is getting a little bit better there. But ultimately I just, I just think like, Norway, even though their main star players are up top, I think their defense is good enough to keep goals out where their uh, their forwards are going to be able to create and score a lot more. And ultimately, that's what matters. It does. It, OK, if you if you concede a lot, that's fine as long as you score a lot. So that that's that, kind that of is how soccer that, works. That's, yes. kind, that's kind of my my idea behind this, just because. Turkey, I don't think, have as many recognizable forwards. They kind of struggled to score goals recently. Uh, they Sure. And Norway does not have that problem. So I, I'm going to go offense wins over defense. Norway in second. Turkey, <laughs> pretty close behind them. Would not be surprised if they got second, though. All right. Group H. Interesting, interesting group. Who do you have taking this yeah. one? I, I actually made a note of this, that this is... In my opinion, the most interesting group of the, I this qualifying. I have to agree. Uh, because you've got, it feels pretty open. Uh, you know, you've got Croatia, Cyprus, Malta, Russia, Slovakia, the boys, and uh, Slovenia. Let's go. So uh, I, I think that this is really interesting because Russia made a really surprising run in the World Cup in 2018, and Croatia made it to the final. Uh, but Ultimate this this might be a little bit controversial because I actually put Russia as my as my first place in this. Mm, oh, whoa. I, I, I'm not sure I'm not sure if you'll do the same thing because they're not I, they're, I don't, but they're not yeah. in great form, to be honest. It, like they don't look to be in great form, but they've got incredible players uh that are 
that are coming up for them. Uh, Moran Chuk, who plays for Atalanta. You've got Alexander Golovin, who came back from injury, who plays uh, for Monaco, who are doing well. Uh, Andre Juba, who, who's a pretty good forward. Denis Cherishev, who had a great World Cup 2018. Been a little bit quieter lately, but he's getting back up there. Uh, Mario Fernandez is probably one of the best right backs outside of the top five leagues in Europe. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I just think I, I think that they have a, a solid squad that could make a really good run in here. And uh, second, I have Croatia. And that might be surprising to a lot of people, given that they made it to a World Cup final. But uh, their Nations League performance was just flat. They their goalkeeper. Uh, Likova, uh, Livakovic, I believe, who plays for Dinamo Zagreb. Very good. They, they've they still got Luka Modric and uh, Ivan Perisic, I still believe. But, you know, their squad is really getting up there in age. They Their goalkeeper that, that got them to a World Cup final, he's retired now. Uh, I, I ultimately think that Croatia's squad, their golden generation is just over. And I don't think that they're going to be able to uh, to make such a deep run this time. So I'm putting them in second. Uh, and then as the as someone who I think could make an upset, of course, it had to be Slovakia. The, I'm wearing their jersey right now. I love the Slovakian mm-hmm. national team. Uh, Jan Gregush is going to control the midfield, you know. Uh, Marek Hamsic, he plays in, in, uh, in Sweden now, the second league in Sweden. But he still does great things for Slovakia. They made a surprise run to the Euros. Uh, they, they've got a solid squad. Uh, of of players who play very defensively and very well defensively as well. They they don't concede a whole ton, uh, but the thing that lets them down is they just don't have the same star players that these other squads have. So I I, I mm-hmm. think that it's probably going to be third for them. Who knows? They could pull off a really big upset and get second. Jack, you must be out of your mind if you think that Russia is going to win this group. Someone could clip this right now. Russia is 39th ranked in their group. Pretty close to Slovakia in 33. Croatia, 11th in FIFA rankings. Yes, they haven't played that many games in the past year, but this is still Croatia. They still were runners-up just just three years ago. Modric is getting older, but, you know, you still have good players who, while they're getting old, I, it's still enough to, to get past this group. You said they had bad form last year. They were in like the Nations League, League A. They were going against really, really good competition. I think, I think you might be overstating how how bad their form was because it was against actually good competition. They're not going to be going against good competition. They're going to be going against Russia and Slovakia. I think they have at least what it takes not to do well in the World Cup, but to get do pretty well in this group. I had Russia as second. Uh, they made the quarterfinals into uh, the World Cup. Interestingly enough, they did fall to Croatia. Maybe there's a bit of uh, bad blood there. They also made the Euros. Uh, lots of players domestically. But again, with Turkey, Russia has a very good league. You have some very good players based in the Russian Premier League. Slovakia, third. They made it to the Euros, but got relegated from their Nations League group, which was League B. It was not the best league by far. And so I think they're going to be, in my opinion, kind of a far distant third lots of great players but not enough difference makers 
that's how I see it. I think you're crazy no, for going no. Russia, but we, that's 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 gonna be an interesting one to watch. Croatia almost got relegated from League A. Come on, they they lost to Sweden on the last day, or not on the last day, the second to last day. If they if they had one more goal scored against them, they would be they they would be relegated down to League B, and uh, you know that would put them below Russia then, because Russia got uh, actually never mind. I thought they got promoted. My bad. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's there's levels to this, and I think Croatia's Ru- Ru- higher. Russia's got it. Russia's okay, got it. Whatever. Oh, we got England, Poland, Hungary, Albania, Andorra, and San Marino in Group I. This is an interesting group. I think it's obvious that England's going to take this. Their young players are crazy good. Reese James, Chilwell, Mount Rice, Saka, Foden, Bellingham, Sancho, Rashford, Calvert, Lewin, Dean Henderson, Alexander Arnold, Greenwood, Tammy Abraham, all are 24 or under. They have literally some of the best young players in the world. And they're all, these players, some of them are already the best in the world. You know, Declan Rice, best central midfielder oh in the God. world. <laughs> They got fourth in the World Cup, I believe. If I, if maybe I repress that memory because I don't like England. They had a very, very positive 2020 in a relatively tough group in the Nations League. It's obvious that they're going to win. They just have the players. Whether they do well in the World Cup, that's yet to be seen. Poland is who I have second place. They made it to the World Cup last time around, but they had a mixed bag of 2020 results. They had decent players, honestly. I thought it was just going to be Lewandowski, but when you look at it, it's Piatic, it's Fabianski, it's Schnezny, did I say that right? I Shesny. say yes. <laughs> Bednarek, Klitsch, Zielinski. This team has had, has had and will have the capability of being great, and I think they continue that. Hungary is who I have third. I don't think it's going to be that close. I think England and Poland are uh, a shoulder above Hungary. But you know, Hungary, they had pretty decent. They had a pretty positive 2020 in terms of results, but just not enough talent to take on England and Poland. Jack, do you have England on top as well, or do you have someone else? No, I of course I have England on top. I don't like the English national team either, but you know I, I you can't not rate them in this, especially in this group. And you mentioned all their young talents. They also have some established stars, like you know they've got Harry Kane, who who still provides week in and, yes. and week out. Uh, they they've got uh, Raheem Sterling, who you know misses quite a few shots, but also scores a ton, so it doesn't really yes. matter. Uh, and they they've just got the they've just got what it takes to win this. Link Arginho. Uh, oh, of course, yeah, your favorite, your yes. favorite player. Uh, and uh, Poland in second as well. Uh, like you said, they're not just Lewandowski, uh, but they've got some great talent. Wojciech Szczesny is an incredible goalkeeper, despite making a few errors in the Champions League that were pretty costly. He's he's an excellent keeper, and I ultimately think Poland. Could make it kind of competitive against England, but I still think there will be quite a gap in between them. Three mm-hmm. points or higher, I'd say. And then another three points below, I'd, I'd say, is Hungary. Again, not a star-studded squad. Good talents, but just not enough to, to challenge for the top spot here. And that takes us to the final group in this, yes. which is Group J. And, you know, you've got Armenia, Germany, Iceland, Liechtenstein, North Macedonia, and Romania. And, of course, on top, I have Germany. Uh, mm. You know, they've got Kai Havertz, Timo Werner. Uh, of course, I mentioned the Chelsea players first. Manuel Neuer <laughs> still in the goal. Yes. Uh, Antonio Rudiger, who's revived under Thomas Tuchel. Uh, and you've got Niklas Sule, 
You've got Matthias Ginter. I, I could just keep going on. And of course, actually, I want to mention one more. Ilkay Gundogan. Sure. Yeah. Absolute definitely. legend this season. Uh, they're they're going to take the top spot in this group. No problem. Uh, and then second, honestly, I think the race for second is pretty open between three of these teams. And really? I, I, I went for Iceland in, in okay. second. They did not have a good 2020 by any stretch. Uh, I if I if I'm remembering correctly, uh, they did not get a single point in the Nations League. They did not. Which is not I mean, they were in a tough group against England, Belgium and Denmark. But they were play. But they should have gotten at least a point uh, in India, <laughs> yeah. like, at least a point. But they just weren't able to get it done. And ultimately, I think their their failings against bigger teams is what's going to lead to them uh, missing out on first place and settling for second. But then in third place, th- this was really tough because I think I I, I think I'm going to go for an outside pick of North Macedonia. What the hell? <laughs> They qualified for the year in impressive form. You know, they they made it all the way through winning a final and they they have some decent players. They they were playing in they were playing in like nation uh, Nations League Group C, I believe. Uh, but sure, they, they've got, you know, Elmas, who plays for um, for uh, Napoli on there. They've got uh, Aliofsky, who plays for Leeds. They they have some exciting talents in there. Is this gap going to be huge? Absolutely. I, but, uh, but I think they could pull off. It was really close between them and Romania, though, because Romania are also a very impressive squad as well. But I just went. I, I just wanted to be different. I guess I, I went for North Macedonia. Okay. Okay. That that is. Other than your Russia pick, that is like the hottest take <laughs> you've had so far. I also had Germany on top. Sure, they crashed out of the World Cup early. Sure, they didn't do too hot last year with the Nations League. Sure, they're losing their uh, head coach later this summer. But it's Germany. They had the talent. Moving on. Number two. Number two, I had Romania. Oh, okay. Not fourth place, second wow. place. So my girlfriend's Romanian. And <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the only it. reason that's why the I picked it. If I'm being honest, that's the only reason why I picked it. My girlfriend is Romanian. Uh, since dating her, I've been watching the Romanian uh team very closely uh they missed out on the euros last uh this time around they haven't made the world cup since 1998 iceland was actually the one that beat them out of the euros but i have nothing else other than i just want them to win i just believe that they'll win because i want to i want to be able to watch romania uh in the world cup with my girlfriend i think that'd be pretty cool i think iceland if if i'm being honest if i'm being serious i think iceland do have to be heavy underdogs in this group. They did well in Euro 2016 and in the World Cup group stage, but at the same time, only won three games in 2020, didn't make the Euros, crashed out of the Nations League. Their crew, great players, are running out. Their golden generation, I suppose, is getting older. It seems like they do have an aging squad, and their best player is what? Sigurdsson? Guimundsson? Some of the other uh, uh, last names to end with son? Maybe. Don't let their success from literally four to five years ago inform you on how they're going to do. Iceland are still a decent team. I think they, they probably do have what it takes to be second place. But they're not the giant killers that they were when they took out uh, in the Euro 2016 England out of the knockout rounds. I think those days are over. I'm having them on third place. Uh, realistically, I have them second, but I'm, I'm letting Romania take second place for that. 
and those are the 10 groups and yeah jack how are you feeling about these predictions do you think you're gonna be right i mean probably not just like especially for predicting russia but you know what i i'm, I'm gonna believe in them you know we'll, we'll see we'll see how it goes all right all right i i I honestly didn't have too many hot takes, but I'm feeling pretty confident regardless. I think Romania is your hottest take, getting that second. Is, that is my hottest take. I think, I think, did I have Ukraine? I did have Ukraine, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, let's wrap this episode up. All right, and that's going to be it for the episode. Jack, do you have anything to say to our viewers? As always, make sure to follow our Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show on both of those platforms. We really appreciate all the interaction that we get on there. You can check out how our March Madness bracket is doing. Spoiler, AJ and I are not doing well at all. Uh, Picking UConn to make a run to the Elite Eight, bad plan. But it's always fun to interact with people on there. So, uh, yeah, make sure to get on there. Yeah. And as always, if you're listening to us on a podcast platform, which you are, don't forget to give us a rating, whether you're on Podcast Addict or Apple Podcasts. Give us a follow, you know, if you're on Spotify or wherever. And yeah, tell a friend that you enjoy the show. Tell your dad even. I'm sure he'd like it. And yeah, we'll see you guys next Monday for the News of Prediction episode. And same time, same place, the Deep Dive episode next week. See ya. See ya.